Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the sermon. You guys can be seated. Man, it's good to be with you guys this morning. As we, uh, we have an exciting morning. Uh, let me say welcome to those of you joining us online. It's an exciting Sunday for us as a church because I get to share and spend some time setting us up, um, moving us in the direction that we believe God has given us to continue to present and share and proclaim the gospel for years and decades to come into the future until Jesus comes back because Jesus is alive, church, the tomb is empty, he's on the throne, amen? And one day he's going to come back and he's going to set everything right. And we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, he's given us a call and a commission. And he's leading us outward. And as I've looked back over the last... Uh, 12 years or so of being in this position and I read through some of my old notes and messages and teachings on vision and mission and it occurred to me that, that in each one of those messages the focus never changed. It, it never moved off center and to be honest that everything that was shared in, all, in those was very nearly the same because the message doesn't change because the Savior doesn't change. And so I, I was encouraged by that, but I was also relieved, honestly, because it, it didn't lead me to having the pressure of creating some new profound you know, alliteration or a mesmerizing illustration for you or, or some tweetable quote that you could put out there. Please don't ever tweet me. <laughs> the best thing you can tweet is probably Bible verses. Because the main thing stays the main thing. And I share that because some of what you hear today might sound familiar. Because the main thing is the main thing. It's all about Jesus. Three weeks ago, my wife and I, Christy, became empty nesters. I know, I know I look way too young to have all my kids in college. <laughs> it's created a new normal for us. Uh, one that we knew would eventually happen. And, you know, you do what you can do to prepare. But, you know, after you have a focus in a family structure for 18 plus years uh, with all the decisions and the logistics of raising children. Um, it's not an easy step into this new normal as maybe I thought it would be. Now, don't get me wrong, we're adjusting. <laughs> we're adjusting well. <laughs> I also turned 45 this year, and I know, I know I don't look 45. You guys are way too kind to me this morning. As we've been preparing all summer for our daughters to go to college and turning 45, it had me thinking again. And, you know, I think every time in life when we go through transitions, when things happen in our lives, whether it's kids going to college, having kids, getting married, retiring, all those transitions, I think, you know, God uses those moments of transition to maybe recenter us. And it got me thinking again that I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer to that moment when I'm going to see him. I'm going to stand in his presence. There's nothing left. And if you know you're getting closer and closer to the end, wouldn't 
Wouldn't we get more urgent? Wouldn't we think, man, I'm going to go all in for eternity. I'm going to invest what I have left in what lasts. And what lasts is people. It's people. Now, let me say I've spent time with many of you. And as you've matured in age, it's a nice way of saying that. <laughs> You're welcome. You have become more emboldened to step in faith, to risk it all for the kingdom, and you inspire me, and you encourage me in my own walk with Christ. But that's the way I've been over the last month or so having to really kind of refocus because it got me thinking, you know, if, try to live my life. Because let's take, for, the, for example, the number 60. So I started looking at my life and saying, well, if I only have 15 years left, if that's what it is, I started looking at my schedule with 15 years left. And before I stand before God and I give an account of, of the talents and the skills and the things that he's given me to use to, to expand and, and to share the good news of the gospel, to exalt Jesus, those things, to build his kingdom on my own. Then I look at my schedule and go, is this good use of my time or my skills or my resources? And I know what some of you are thinking. 15 years, that seems like a really long time, but is it? What I've experienced is that the clock increases in speed exponentially as you get older. I've even asked many of you that same question, and you unanimously have agreed with a resounding absolutely where you would say the phrase it feels just like yesterday is very real. But then there's this truth from Scripture, a, a truth that although my example was 15 years, we're not promised the next breath, right? Let me show you a couple of verses that should help guide us. James 4.14, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Psalm 90.12, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. See, wisdom is having right perspective that in our little beginning and end here on earth in the backdrop of eternity is dropping a bucket, a hand breath, a vapor. Psalm 39, 4 and 5. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Those are sobering verses for us. And I don't want to be morbid because we're thinking about dying, but it is so critically important for us as we look at the future and understand eternity to help that focus us with what we have here now. And so in light of those truths found in those verses, which really point to the brevity of life, right? and the need to be diligent, the need for a right perspective in life, then we think about our eternal future that's secured for the Christian. This is settled for us. When we as Christians grasp the security of eternity in heaven given to us by a relationship with Jesus, it releases us, right? It releases us at that point because we recognize our eternity is secure. It releases us now to radical love, to radical generosity to the world around us. 
It emboldens us to live for Christ, to witness and testify to Jesus. I mean, when we ponder heaven and we ponder our coming life in the new heaven and the new earth, isn't it meant to, isn't it meant to lead to joy? It's not meant to lead to escapism or, or denial or, or some type of cult, cultural disengagement to where we just kind of form a bubble, a holy huddle, if you will, and, and just wait. It's just the opposite. It's because of our security in heaven that it emboldens us and releases us into the mess and the brokenness of the world around us. So this great hope is meant to propel us then into the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel and the sacrificial love and the kingdom service into gospel generosity. And every one of us, regardless of your spot in the family's birth order, or where you live in the community, or your position in the marketplace, you have a circle of influence. So together, how do we make the most of those circles of influence with the time that we have before we're with Jesus? How do we point people to Jesus? See, we believe that when each person is making the most of their circles of influence, an entire community can be changed, as well as the world. That's a kingdom legacy. That's a kingdom legacy. What we do for the kingdom matters. So so let me ask, what is our kingdom legacy? It's a guiding question for our church, for our future. When we are gone, what will our kingdom legacy be for those that come behind us? How will we together invest in the kingdom in such a way that we are setting up, setting up the future disciples to continue to proclaim and reach the world with the greatest message ever, Jesus Christ. Well, I think the first thing we got to do is anchor ourselves in Christ again. That we got to go to the center and be reminded of what matters most, Jesus. We can't have a kingdom legacy without the king. So if you have a Bible, go with me to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. And I want to walk us through just this little passage of Scripture at the end of Luke that, that occurs after Jesus' resurrection. The last time most of the disciples saw Jesus, someone was taking his dead body off the cross. A couple of the disciples and the women said they had seen Jesus, but most of them thought they were seeing things it seemed like nonsense to them. So I want to just show you what takes place. Starting in verse, 20, or thir- verse 36, Luke 24. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. It says he stood among them, right? Not that he walked into the midst of them. The Gospel of John tells you the door was locked. Jesus like teleported into the room, okay? This is some type of futuristic TV show at this point. He stood among them. And then he said to them, peace to you. That's funny, right? I mean, think about it. Think about what's, I mean, think, they think he's dead, right? He appears and he says, peace to you. He had to know that's not what they were about to feel. Imagine you're in your home late at night, And I come up behind you, and I grab you and scream, relax. (laughs) 
That's what's happening here. Verse 37, but they were startled and frightened because that's, what we, that's how we react when someone just appears, right? Especially someone you thought was dead. And they thought they saw a spirit, and he said to them, well, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Verse 39, look what he does. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He says, look, touch. I have a real body, real skin. You can see, you can touch. It never ceases to amaze me the alternate theories that people come up with for the resurrection in spite was very clear. He was alive. Verse 40, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Why his hands and his feet? Why would he show them those parts? Because of the scars, right? They would be able to connect the pieces to know that that's actually Jesus and not some imposter. He showed them the scars. It's confirmation. Verse 41, and, and, while they were, and while they still disbelieved for joy, it's a great phrase, right? Had gone from disbelieving because not possible to too good to be true. And were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. It's details like this that help us see that these accounts are not made up. People like to say that their resurrection stories are a myth. But then you get into the Gospels in the Bible and you have details like this. He eats a piece of boiled fish. If you're writing a myth or a made-up story, you probably wouldn't include that type of detail in those stories. The fact that he showed up and ate fish. Keep going. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and they said to, and they said to them, and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. You see, it had been there the whole time. It was like one of those pictures with all the dots, right? It's there the whole time, but you've got to make all the connections, and that's what he did, right? That's what he showed them. There are two things that run throughout every story of the Bible. And when we get these two things, we can become pretty good Bible interpreters. And it's the gospel and Jesus and the person of Jesus, right? Which really are kind of the same thing. The gospel is that God has saved us by doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, right? And, and that Jesus is our Savior who came to rescue and restore us to the Father. Keep going, verse 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. There's the mission, right? Beginning from Jerusalem, verse 48. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. We know he has a real body. So when he was carried up, like that last verse, he was carried, like he didn't dissolve then, right? He didn't, didn't kind of move into some immaterial state, right? His physical body is somewhere right, right now. Where, so where did he go? C.S. Lewis said it was most likely a fold in space, like a curtain you take a bow and slip back through. Then I want to show you our key verse, 52. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. You see, our 
our legacy, our kingdom legacy is all about Jesus. It has been, it is, and it always will be. And, and a legacy that is all about Jesus produces joy in the here and now and then in the others' lives after we're gone. So when we read this last verse, it's kind of counterintuitive in these last verses, right? Jesus is leaving. He left, right? And he's told them over the time that he's ministered to them as his disciples that they're going to carry a cross. They're going to carry his cross, right? And he's told them, just like I've been hated, you're going to be hated. Just like he had laid down his life for them, they're going to lay down their lives for others. So you ask the question, what's joyful about that? Where is this great joy, verse 52 said that they had? Their joy came from where they anchored it. And they anchored it in the resurrection of Jesus. That he died and three days later he came back to life. In the resurrection they had four anchors. And let me share those with you. They had certainty. They had hope. They had purpose. And they had presence. These are the building blocks of a kingdom legacy. Because it is the joy within us that moves out of us that attracts others to, to where we have the joy from. And we get the joy out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, out of our Savior King who rose from the dead. And we anchor into that joy because of these anchor points. Certainty. Verse 38, he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See, contrary to what a, a lot of people will try to say, they were not looking for a resurrection. Even though he had tried to tell them over and over, they were not looking for it. And, and many have tried to suggest that coming up with a resurrection story was the natural way of dealing with the death of your leader, right? That's not true, actually. The, the Jewish people had no category for a crucified and risen leader. The Messiah was supposed to throw off the yoke of oppression, right? Not be overtaken by it. And to teach people to carry his cross. And why would they have celebrated Jesus' death if that was the case? From the earliest times, Christians celebrated Jesus' death. They didn't mourn it. In fact, we're going to remember it today in communion at the end. The earliest Christians celebrated communion. See, when your leader is martyred, you usually don't celebrate their death. You mourn it. But they were joy-filled, right? Remember what we just read? They were worshiping. The earliest Christians believed Jesus rose from the dead. That's not something that got slipped in later by people trying to like, shore up our faith in Christianity. It gave them joy that turned Jesus' death then into a triumph. We don't have ceremonies to celebrate those that were martyred except with Jesus. That joy, that death and distress, deprivation could not touch or take away. They had a certainty. So let me ask the question, what is your certainty in? See, I've staked my hope and future in that Jesus rose from the dead. If you're not a follower of Jesus, one could say that you've staked your hope and future that he didn't. I can tell you that the evidence is enough to convince me and stake my life and future on it. Just like the disciples. 
there was a certainty here that was an anchor. Here's the second one, hope. They had an, an anchor of hope here. In one way, he gave them a picture of creation, right? They were headed to, the creation that they were headed to, right? His resurrection showed them creation at its fullest. He could be touched, right? He could eat fish. He could beam into rooms. One of the parts about heaven we're all excited about. Jesus was more alive after the resurrection than he ever was before, right? All that we love down here is a pale reflection that we get to experience a resurrection version up there. That gives us hope. You know when it gives us hope? When you're fighting pain, brokenness, heartache, trouble, there's a hope. Remember what the scripture teaches? The blind will see, the lame will walk, the lonely will have companionship, the poor will abound. The good is coming. That's hope. They had this hope. The second hope he gives them is the hope by showing them that there's a purpose in their pain. Meaningless pain, it's awful, it's terrible. But purpose-filled pain, well, doesn't mean we still want the pain, but at least there's something that God's going to work out of it. Remember he showed him his hands and his feet. Remember what happened to his hands and his feet. God says that he uses even our pain as part of his plan. That's, that's comforting. There's hope there that nothing is wasted. You remember the phrase disbelieve for joy, right? Too good to be true. What if we could see that just like God was working through Jesus' scars, our eternal good, he was working through all the painful things that you and I face in life in a beautiful plan. It's perspective. That's the hope that the resurrected, nail-scarred body of Jesus gives to us. So the question is, what's your hope in? Where's your hope anchored? Your ability to make a good life? Your ability to hold on to it? Which controls an illusion? What happens when life goes wrong? These guys, these disciples, they anchored their hope in something that disease or death or distress, deprivation could never take away. And it sustained them even to death. Here's the third anchor, purpose. Because of his resurrection, he showed them, he shows us that we don't have to be on this obsessive quest to obtain everything down here. It's not essential, but people do matter. What we invest in people's lives right here and right now matters. We're watering the seeds that will grow into Christ-likeness. And that's for people all over the world. Verse 47, he lifts their eyes to the nations is what he says. This gospel must be preached to all people, all places, at all times. All people must be called, to Je and Jesus said this, right, to repentance and faith and receive the gift of forgiveness. They only get one shot. God, God has made all people of one blood, made in his image. The gospel is not just for the Jews. It was for all people in all nations. It's not, so I mean, it's not just for us, but it's for everyone. It's part of our kingdom legacy. People from our generation, church, who die without hearing this gospel and receiving his forgiveness will never get another chance. This generation of Christians, by the way, is responsible 
for this generation of souls all around us and around the world. It's a great privilege that he's given to us to be a part of that. These guys had a joy that came from knowing Jesus had an eternal purpose and they got to be a part of it. How many times have I said up here how how much of a, a privilege it is that God would entrust us with sharing the gospel, the good news, the salvation message with other people. He entrusts us with that. How privileged is that? How blessed is that? So the question for us is, do we have this sense of purpose in our lives as Christians? Is our lives really mattering for eternity? Is our kingdom legacy really in play here? And here's the fourth anchor. Presence. Presence. He shows them his hands and his feet, which is to show him his eternal undying love for us, right? The resurrected body of Jesus still had those scars. It will forever have those scars. A permanent reminder to them and to us of how much God loved us and loves us and how far he would go in his love for us. How far he would go in saving us. It also shows them the promise of the Holy Spirit is what he gave to them, which was his presence in their heart. Always until we see him face to face, right? He didn't leave us alone. He didn't ascend into the heavens to leave us to figure it out, right? He gave us the Spirit. And then it says he eats with them. Actually, if you read all of Luke 24, he does it twice. That's a lot for one chapter. Jesus' few last scenes on earth, and both times he's eating with them. It's one of the reasons why we love Jesus. He's always eating. But eating in the Jewish culture was a sign of intimate fellowship. Scholars say that these scenes are instructive for the church, giving us a picture of communion, which is exactly what we're going to do together in just a little bit. Eating with Jesus, remembering his intimacy with us, fellowship. Their joy flowed out of his presence. The God who created heaven and earth, the God who left heaven to come, put on flesh for us, die a gruesome, bloody death on a cross to save us, still had the scars in his hands and feet to prove his love for us, that God was always with us, now living within us. Do we have that joy of his presence, church? See, the disciples from this point on, they would in many ways live very difficult, hard lives. If you read through the book of Acts, you would see that. They're beaten, they're shipwrecked, they're mistreated, they're lied about, name it. But they had a joy that amazed everyone, just like the text we just read. Do we have that kind of joy? What is our joy dependent on? Our ability to have joy in all things is the measure, really, of how much you and I understand and believe the gospel. If we know the treasure of the gospel, which is what I... Talked about the beginning, that security that the gospel and the resurrection brings to us as we believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. If we know the treasure, even when other parts go wrong within our lives, we're not devastated, we're not crushed because we have something better than life. We have Jesus. And again, the disciples are going to become pretty unbelievable people. They're joyful, they're bold, they're zealous people. But they didn't start that way. If you look at the starting point of them, they are selfish and scared, unbelieving. 
So their joy and their boldness and their zeal were a byproduct then of anchoring their lives in the resurrection of Jesus, which is where we as a church want to always make sure our anchor is held in the resurrection of Jesus because it's always going to be about Jesus. So when we ask ourselves, where do we find certainty and hope and purpose and presence? The disciples are not different than us. They'd simply anchored their lives in something that gave them joy and boldness in all things. So where do you anchor? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And again, I was going to sing that, but I continue to just hear the Holy Spirit say no. Just read. Just read. He is the only rock you can build your life on can never be moved. That's our legacy. CFCC is to be anchored in Jesus for us to have the kingdom legacy God's leading us to have. And now that we have those anchors, it frees us, church. It releases us to that radical love and generosity. It emboldens us. That's why today is such a special day because we're going to take a step in the outward movement of the gospel in our community and beyond. So over the next just a few minutes, I want to share with you some exciting coming soon news, if you will. Carolina Forest, Myrtle Beach, Conway, this area, I've shared some of these statistics before, but I think it does us well to be reminded of, of the fields that are here, the fields of people. By 2030, Carolina Forest is expected to have 50,000 people. It's nine years. Feels like we're already there, right? Conway East, intercoastal to Waccamaw River, north of 22, and just past 544, 2015, population of 80,000. By 2040, a population of 185,000. It's a 130% increase. Horry County is projected to be a county of 584,000 people by 2040, and 1.1 million people with visitors during tourism season. That's a large field to see the harvest of the gospel. When you look at the map of all that, Carolina Forest, community church, our campus is very near the center of that growth, almost directly in the middle. That was no accident by God leading Pastor Mac Lake to come and found this church. God has placed us strategically for what is here now and what's coming. Because again, people are what matter. And with that strategic placement of our church, we've shared with you, and you've maybe seen in our lobby, our chapter two vision. But as we see this more and more, we see more and more clearly that today and moving forward is the time for us to move, to be a church that's anchored in that resurrection that's been freed now to proclaim love and serve those that are coming, those that are here. And so our chapter two vision is to see our campus fulfilled and completed to be shared in a way that produces Jesus at the center and holistically moving from that place into every area and aspect of our lives that we experience here on earth, spiritual, mental, physical, for all ages and all people. 
We have multiple ways that we believe Jesus wants to kind of move into these areas and to be the hope and, and the refuge and the rescue that, that we need in those areas. And so we've seen God give us this vision for a, a holistic ministry in our campus and on our campus to every area of life, that it would transform lives from the inside out, that Jesus would do that, and for the kingdom legacy that we would leave for those thousands that will come after us. And so if you haven't been able to see that vision on the wall, I'd invite you to see it. Now, it will change a little bit, which we're going to share with you over the next several months because the road kind of changed our frontage and there's a couple other things that are in the works and stuff. But that is where God is leading us. And a couple weeks ago, I shared a biblical principle of sowing and reaping. We sow, we prepare, we till the ground, if you will, we turn the dirt. And today... I'm asking you, I'm inviting you as our church family to join us to begin that time of preparation. We're excited to invite each of you guys into praying and preparing for what is to come at the beginning of the year. We believe there's a biblical principle for us to follow, and that is pray first, get right, and then step boldly and faithfully. And we want to lead in that biblical principle because I think it's a great principle for us to have in our personal lives, our family lives, and we want to lead it in our church. And so for the next four months, as we finish up this year, we're inviting you guys to partner with us in a time of praying preparation for what will kick off at the beginning of 2022. At the beginning of 2022, we're going to kick off a campaign called For the Kingdom. I get chill bumps just thinking about it. As we look at the next chapter of our campus and we understand where God has prepared and placed us and given us 25 acres to complete so that we might serve every single person in every single area of life with the gospel, that we wouldn't leave anyone behind, but that our legacy would see a campus filled and completed so that, that those who come behind us are, are prepped and prepared to use that to reach into the more lives that will be coming. And so at the beginning of the year, we're going to kick off a campaign. And there'll be a lot of information from now until then of what all that looks like. But for now, we're inviting you to pray with us that we would be ready, that we'd be prepared, that we would be, again, anchored and filled with joy and when 2022 starts, we start our 25th year as a church. I can think of no better way for us to celebrate our 25th year that God's grace and faithfulness has been upon us than to take a God-sized step in faith to see our kingdom legacy for generations happen. So we believe God is calling us as an elder team into a time of prayer and preparation starting now and into the fall and we're inviting all of you to join us. Practically, there'll be multiple ways to be connected to this. You're going to be invited to prayer nights where we'll do prayer walks. You're going to be invited to vision meetings where we will answer questions and share. We're also going to equip you at the end of this series with a prayer guide to follow along with us throughout the fall so we can be praying in unity. I will say it is exciting. It is energizing. It is stirring. There is a lot of work 
It's, it's that point at, at times overwhelming amount of work. But it needs all of us unified to do it to the praise and the glory of God. And so there will be more coming in the coming weeks where we'll be sharing. Pastor Mark and Pastor Tyler over the next couple of weeks are going to share more about the chapter 2 uh, kingdom legacy. And at the end of this month, we're going to start a series as we're going to walk through the book of Nehemiah together. And we're going to look at building and we're going to look at what it takes for us to do it together. And we're going to be praying. And then at the beginning of the year, we're going to step boldly and faithfully. And you're going to see some things changing um, on campus over the next couple of months. We are trusting God's timing here. We're trusting God's promise to continue and complete the good work that he started in us. And we're really unified in that work and inviting you into this as a church family to take that step with us. And one of the exciting things that God's already done to get us moving and to remind us about our legacy and our influence and our impact on our community but, but into the lives of people is one of the exciting blessings that God has graced us with. He's given us the privilege to partner with another organization called Global Youth Force which has the focus of empowering and equipping young people uh, and young leaders for ministry uh, of the gospel and leadership. And in our partnership, we've developed the Carolina Forest Community Church Residency Program. And our very first resident started this past weekend. Her name's Kayla, and she will have a primary focus of serving in student ministry. And we're humbled, truly humbled, that God would entrust to us the good work of training up young leaders who have a heart to invest their lives into the future of the gospel ministry, whether it's here or around the world, that God said, you guys can do this and you can pour into and train and equip. That is a humbling place, but a privileged place that we don't take lightly, but we're also really really excited that he would say to us, you can do this and, and present these opportunities to us. And we're going to have some opportunities for you to get involved in that program. Um, and we're going to share that very soon. But some of this is already moving forward as we think about our legacy because church, we want to be the loudest voice for, for Jesus. We want to be the loudest voice for Jesus that we can be. And we can be the loudest voice when we anchor our joy in Jesus and his resurrection. It sets us free to go all in. Psalm 145, 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. May that be true of us. May our legacy be collectively known as that church was always yelling from the rooftops, Jesus loves you. Jesus has provided safe haven come home to Jesus that it would live out of us and it would be passed down to those who come behind us and it would stir us to take that step of faith together so we're excited and I hope you are excited for what's coming this fall and that you'll join us in praying for the kickoff and again there will be a lot more information but I just wanted to stir us and anchor us today let you know what's coming, what our campus can look like in the future as God moves. And so we're going to 
come together now because it is all about Jesus and take communion together. So if you want to grab your little communion cup, I'm going to invite the band out.